Good morning, everybody. So Jason did a little bit of a uh, question for some of you, and there's uh, plenty of you who weren't with us last week. But just, I just ask you, if you're wearing uh, the the priestly clothes that Jesus gave you to wear today, if you put those on this morning, would you stand up? I would have thought more of you would have stood up. Maybe you're a bit shy. If you're in Christ, if you have given your allegiance to Jesus, you're a priest. You're wearing the priestly garments that he gave you. You see, in Jesus' priesthood, there isn't fancy priestly gear to wear. It's the ordinary stuff we all wear. Right? Okay, let's try this one. Here's another test. So we might have to withhold, might have to withhold the uh, macaroons for morning tea if people don't get this one right. <laughs> okay. Would all, all of the saints in the room please stand? Okay. Well, okay. Well, there's a... Yeah, I, I thought the morning tea trick might do it. <laughs> so if I came down in the crowd and asked you why you stood up, would you be able to answer me? Apart from, the mor- apart from saying, well, it was morning tea on the line, you know, so I stood up. Um, so now I'm doing that for a couple of reasons uh, to, to remind us of, of these realities because... In the world in which we live in, the word uh, priest has become to be associated with a particular form of clothing and process and all that kind of deal. Uh, We won't name names, but there's particular streams where if you're a priest, you control the access to God of ordinary people. And we, we were saying last week that now we have a man who controls our access to God but he is a man who is standing in the throne room of heaven. His name is Jesus. Uh, Jesus has opened access for us all to go into God's presence. No other human being can do that. No other human being can stop us doing that. Priests. Saints is another word. Again, in our culture, we have saints. Uh, and there's If you're a member of a particular stream in the church, there's a rigorous process to prove that you're a saint. I think it requires three verifiable miracles. Um, That's not Bible. The Bible word for people who are in Christ is saint. So whenever, whenever anyone asks all the priests to stand up, you, if you're in Christ, you should be on your feet. Whenever, when anyone ever says, would all the saints of God step forward, you should be one. If you are in Christ, you should be one who steps forward. Because that's what the Bible says you are. That's what the New Testament says, that Jesus died. And this is all about being a Pentecost people. And this is the story. Pentecost is not, is not an, it's an event but it's part of the ongoing story. It begins in the Garden of Eden. We talked about this. I'm going to race through it. We talked in detail about this last week. So go back and watch last week's teaching if you weren't here for it. Continues into Sinai, Mount Sinai, when God has rescued the people of Israel and he says to them, I've chosen you. You will be my special people, my possession on the earth to be my holy priests. You'll be my royal nation of priests. 
And we go forward to the cross with the torn curtain and the resurrection and we come to the ascension and then we come to Acts 2 which leads us into a global fullness of this reality. So let me just pause for a minute. Let's go into Acts 2. If you've got your Bible, open it up to Acts 2. If you haven't got a Bible, um, that's I'm sorry about that. Can't help you with that. Um, so remember that uh, Acts, Acts is part of a two-volume um, collection written by Luke. So if you, you think of a movie and you go, well, we saw the movie and then we saw the sequel. Well, it's kind of like that. There's Luke, which is Luke's recording of in his research about Jesus, who Jesus is. And then that's volume one and volume two is Acts. And so it's important to link them together. So what we find at the end of Luke, in Luke 24, where there's been, Jesus has been dialoguing with the people on the road to Emmaus. He's been unfolding himself from the scriptures to them, beginning from Genesis and going through to Malachi. He's been showing them that he is the one that was promised. And then we come to the mountain at the end of Luke 24, where Jesus is gathered with his disciples just outside Bethany, and he ascends up into heaven. And it says, Then they went back into Jerusalem because they'd been told to wait. They went back into Jerusalem, and where did they go? This is an important piece of information Luke is giving us. They went and hid. Is that right? Is that what Luke says? Those of you who know Luke, no, he didn't say that. No, they went and they met in the temple every day praising God. Then we go to Acts 1. And he, and he gives a bit more detail. Then as he opens this second volume, he really kind of unpacks that ascension event a bit more the command to wait until they're endued with power from on high and they go and they're in acts 2 it's the day of pentecost they're together and you see pentecost is a high and holy day for the people of israel it's one of the festivals that god gave for his people and he said in this period of time all of the men should go to jerusalem to worship me so we know that jerusalem is filled with people Jews from all over the place have come to Jerusalem because that's where they're commanded to be, devout, God-fearing Jews, wanting to obey the laws that God's given them, wanting to obey his commands and instructions. They're in the, they've come to Jerusalem for the feast of, or the festival of Shavuot. We call it Pentecost. That's the Greek word, which simply means 50 days. So they are together in that one place. So they're together in the temple. It's nine o'clock in the morning. We know that from a bit further on in the text. So nine o'clock in the morning, they're in the temple, which is the hour of prayer. It's where all of them would have been to pray because that's where they were commanded to be, in the temple. They're in the temple. Now, in this where these disciples have gathered in the particular part of the temple where they've gathered, as they are praying, they experience this phenomena that's described. It's this roaring of a mighty wind. It's filling the place where they're sitting. What looks like a big flame of fire with tongues coming off that one, settling on each of them. You try to imagine what this is like. Look, we've had some powerful encounters in our prayer room, but we haven't had this one. So let's, let's ask the Lord to... Why don't we ask the Lord for one of these, eh? Yeah. So, now, 
Tongues of fire settle on them. Everyone who's filled with the Holy Spirit begins speaking in other languages. The Holy Spirit gives them this ability. Okay. Now, if you are familiar with Exodus 19, and if you're not familiar with it, go back and read Exodus 19 another time. What you see is so many of the things, the physical manifestations they experience, line up with what, how God revealed himself on Mount Sinai. That's why we always connect Sinai and Pentecost together as Christians, because so many of these things line up in that kind of way. And we know God led them with a pillar of fire. And so one of the, the Aramaic translation of Acts says it was a pillar of fire and then tongues of fire came off and, and rested on each of them. And God is marking them and he's marking them as his royal priesthood, as his saints who are going to be his witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. That's what's happening here. Now, this obviously created a commotion. The temple is filled with people, but over in some, somewhere in there where this group are, this happens. So people come running around. They, they hear the sound and they go running to find out what's going on. And then they're confronted because they've got these simple Galilean fishermen and others. There's a Matthew who's the tax collector. We know they're, they're just these people from Galilee. They're not known for their linguistic ability of the nations. That's the simple point. And so people are suddenly hearing and they're looking and they're going, that bloke's speaking Mandarin. And he's speaking Nigerian. I don't know the language name for Nigeria. And, you know, and they go through this list. This is what's going on. This is verses 7 to 10. So people are going, we're hearing them. I'm hearing them in Bahasa. I'm hearing them in Aramaic. I'm hearing all these different things and people are going, but, but I'm looking at them and going, I know those blokes didn't learn that. How on earth has this happened? And some people are standing there amazed and they're asking this, what does this mean? Now, many of them know their history of when God spoke at Mount Sinai that they heard, they actually saw God's voice, that's one of the ways to translate it. And they believe, Jews believe, I've read this from the rabbis, that, that actually they heard 70 languages on Mount Sinai. So again, you've got this thing, God speaking in 70 languages. It's this thing of him speaking to the nations. And so we've got similar manifestation going on here. Some people are standing there, and I'm sure as they're watching this unfold, they're thinking... Exodus 19, but other people, look what other people do. They mock. These men are drunk. How on earth you would think a drunk person could speak in a language they've never learned? I don't know. But one of, this is one of the mysteries that when God does something, some people stand in worship and awe. Other people see the same thing and they mock. And we ought not to be surprised at that. When you share what God is doing in your life, when you share it with some people, some people will stand in awe and worship and other people will mock and say it can't be real. So then Peter stands up and, um, and there's a big crowd gathered and there's several colonnades where, where this can happen in the Jerusalem temple. And he begins, he steps forward 
from them and he begins to speak to them, calls them and he does all the things. says, this is what was prophesied through prophet Joel many years ago, that God was, there was going to come a day when God was going to pour out his spirit on all people. On young, old, men, women, all going to get the spirit. This was a new thing. It hadn't happened before. There was people, particular individuals within the nation of Israel, who were anointed by the Holy Spirit. But now God says, I'm doing a new thing, and now you are all in Christ. This would be available. And Peter goes on, and he preaches, and he says, this gift is available for all of you. What a great news. That is so good. Such great news. So they go through. It goes and goes. Some of this was read to us earlier this morning. Verse 22. People of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders and signs through him, as you well know. And they did. They knew. Because remember, this is only seven weeks after Jesus' crucifixion. So many people knew. They had heard and seen, many of them, what Jesus had done. And he talks about how he was betrayed, but this was actually God's plan, but and, uh, but God released him from the horrors of death. He goes on and he says to them, think about this. This God raised Jesus from the dead. This is Acts 2.32. And we're all witnesses of this. Because remember, he's standing with the, with the rest of the disciples. We're all witnesses. But remember, there was Jesus appeared to 500 people on one occasion. So clearly there's, there are many witnesses around the place, who could testify that they'd seen the resurrected Jesus, the one that had been crucified, they'd seen him resurrected. So we have seen this, we're witnesses of this. It's not like we've seen the movie, we've seen the social media posts about him rising from the dead, we've seen him, and he is exalted to the place of the highest honour in heaven at God's right hand, and the Father, as he has promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. And he says in verse 36, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. And what does it say happened? It says, those words pierce people to the heart. Now, I think there's several different dynamics going on here. I think there is the dynamic of the Holy Spirit conviction of what the, Jesus said in John 16. He said the Spirit's going to come. He's going to convict people of sin. He's going to con- convict people of righteousness and of the judgment to come. So I think part of that's happening. But I also think that there's people in this crowd who were in the crowd standing and Pilate was saying, who do you want me to release? Barabbas? Of Jesus. And I think there's people in the crowd in Jerusalem, in the temple, on the day of Pentecost, who who knew who their voices have said, Give us Barabbas. Give us the terrorist. Don't give us Jesus. And I think part of that is the conviction that's on them at that moment, because they know. I was in I was saying that. And now Peter's saying that one who we crucified, God raised from the dead. He's exalted him. He's now standing at the right hand of the throne of God. This is Daniel 7. There's a man standing in heaven now. And, and they say, what should we do? I was 
talking with someone this week about a number of years ago I heard um, African-American bishop speaking, Joseph Garlington. And uh, he talked about the sign of the sign of revival is snot. It's weeping. And and what I've seen in my own life is there's a weeping that comes from the conviction of sin, the reality I am who God says I am as a sinful man. There's a weeping, there's a grieving. Because that's the true condition of my heart. I could, I'm trying to mask it up by myself. I'm trying to convince people I'm a nice bloke. All those kind of things. I'm trying to do the right thing. Live the right kind of life. But at the core, I'm a person in rebellion against God. The conviction of my sin leads to weeping. Usually copious times. And that's happened several times in my life. The conviction of sin. Uh, there's another kind of weeping as well that I've experienced and some of you have experienced this and you've experienced the, 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 the conviction of your sin before God. But there's another kind of weeping as well where God, you experience the lavishness of God's love on you. Mm. And that too brings a weeping, brings tears because you're just overwhelmed by his grace. And his goodness to you. And you never want it to change. You want to feel that all the days of your life. And Peter continues and says what they've got to do. Repent of their sins and turn to God. And be immersed in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and even to the Gentiles. That's such a powerful statement. If, you're, if there's anyone here who's not a Jew, you get included in this. If you're not a Jew here today, this is for you. This promise is for you. If you repent of your sins and turn to God and are immersed in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. It's a promise for you to all who have been, who are far off, who have been called by the Lord our God. And Luke, as he writes this, he, he then, he summarizes and he says this. He says, Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked and perverse generation. And we see that 3,000 were added to the ecclesia that day. If your, if your version, uh, the translation you're using has the word church, church in it, um, it's uh, useful but not actually. Ecclesia is the called out ones, the ones that God has called out to himself to be his priests, to be his saints, to display his goodness to the world around about him. And then it says they devoted themselves uh, to the apostles' teaching. So 3,000. So Let's assume there was 120 that started that day um, following Jesus and at the end of the day there's another 3,000, so there are over 3,000 and, and all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. That's what they began to do. Luke says this is what this group, this, that the love that they experienced, the conviction and the response in their hearts, being immersed, receiving the Holy Spirit, they then devoted themselves to these things. 
And this deep sense of awe came over them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. They met together in one place and shared everything they had. Um, And if you think about when it says they met together in one place, the one place they could meet in Jerusalem was the temple. They shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. And they worshipped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to the ecclesia those who were being saved. So Pentecost people devote themselves to apostolic teaching why do they devote themselves to the apostles teaching simple answer isn't it because they're the ones that knew jesus they'd been with jesus and so for us it's today where we're devoting ourselves to the study of the scriptures to the unfolding the stories of jesus and how he was working we're we're devoting ourselves to that we're singing and praying the scripture together we're revealing the goodness of god to the people around about us we're generously sharing food and possessions it's this one thing reality from psalm 27 4 where where david says in the middle of running a kingdom this is such a good thing. You think you've got a busy life? Try running a kingdom. Yeah, but he says, in the middle of running a kingdom, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. I don't know if you think too much about delighting in the Lord's perfections. Think of an eternal God delighting in his perfections. Psalm 16.11 says that at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's where I'm going. Um, I was reading a book this week, um, quoted Dallas Willard, and Dallas Willard said, I'm sure God will let anyone into heaven who wants to be there. Now, just stop for a minute and think about that. You see, if heaven is gazing on the Lord's perfections and meditating on him, seeing him in all his beauty and majesty, enjoying the pleasures at his right hand forevermore, do you want that? Because when you get heaven, you get God as he is. If we don't want God now, why on earth do we think we would want him for all eternity is a worthwhile thing to think about. It's like, God, stir my heart. God, to desire you above all other things in the busyness of a life, help me to order my life so that I delight in you and gaze on your perfections. One of the things that I've personally experienced is change in emotional chemistry through prayer. And I read this quote today of how prayer improves, not today, this week, how prayer improves mental health. Um, And it actually comes from a psychological study, and I can give you all the references if you'd like to explore this for yourself. You can, if you want to read that riveting piece of information. Um, 
But they said prayer, meditation, and confession rewire the brain in a way that can make us less self-referential and more aware of how God sees us. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that, doesn't it? You go, hang on, hang on. So prayer isn't something I do. Prayer is something that changes me. Because prayer forces, when I pray the scriptures, when I come and I stand before God, what that's actually doing is he's being formed in me. Things are changing. The way that I think about myself, the way that I think about the world, the way that I think about God is being changed. I'm, I'm changing on the inside. And that's a very delicate way they've put it. Make us less self-referential. What's another way of saying less self-referential? Yeah, less self-centered, less selfish. Okay. Who would like their family members to be less selfish? (laughs) Who would like to become less selfish? Have you thought that prayer and meditating on the Lord and confession would do that? It does do it, so... The thing about it is, the rhythm, the habit of coming in and out of the prayer room on a consistent basis, singing and praying the scriptures, it changes us. Yes, we ought to be doing it at home. Do it at home, do it at home, but come to the prayer room. Some people, uh, let's, okay, let's just say it this way. Introverts go, I love doing this at home. I don't want to do it with anybody else. I just want to be left alone. Just me and Jesus. That's all I want, right? Okay? Extroverts, on the other hand, is like, do it by myself at home? (laughs) Myself? Just me? Can't I have another human being in the room with me doing it? That's what extroverts do. So, which one are you married to? (laughs) Which one are you hoping to be? So... It's this thing of like, again, it's, it's, this, it's the both and thing because things get formed. When the extrovert has to engage with God by themselves, things happen in them. When the introvert has to engage with God with other people, stuff happens in them that can't be done in any other way. If you think of it like this, be, uh, everything God has done in our lives is unproven until it is refined and demonstrated in the midst of relationships. There is no way to verify the work of God's grace in us if we are independent of others. Nor is there any way to demonstrate godliness to any other person except through interaction with them. You can think, we can think we're living holy lives but we're just living undisturbed lives. I want to finish this morning by saying, there's a call on us. It's a, it's a global call. It's not unique for New Life Church, but it's a call to be a Pentecost people. People who are devoted to the things that this first group, because Luke's put them in here, And these have become the living word of God to say, this is what we're moving towards, people. This is what God wants us to be like as a people. Ones who are devoted to apostolic teaching, to the teaching of the scriptures, and to singing and praying the scriptures together, and to reveal the goodness of God 
in the way that we live our lives together, that people would say, wow, I want to get in on that. The way they love one another, the way they care for the people around about them, the way they generously share themselves, their food, their time, their houses, all these things. I want to get in on that. I see the way they interact. My question for us this morning is this. How are you going? How are you going with being someone who's devoted to these things? And I'm going to invite a response in a, in a minute. Because one of the things that was gripping me as I was reading this, I'm, I was as a, going through and reading Acts 2 again, and I'm gripped by the gap. There's a gap between what I see, what that outpouring of the Spirit produced in those believers. There's a gap and I hope you might feel it this morning as well. I hope you might ache as well with that gap between those ones. You know, they're within the body of Christ, there are all sorts of things that people say about uh, the evidence of being uh, baptised by the Holy Spirit. I want to suggest that the evidence of being baptised by the Holy Spirit is far more than speaking a language you do not know. It is living this kind of life. It's being this kind of people, this kind of community who have ordered our lives around the priorities that God has that we would be this holy, royal priesthood nation this kingdom of saints to glorify him and to display him to the world but it means a death to things it means a letting go of things it means saying no to some of the activity that we fill our lives and our society says you've got to fill your life with this kind of activity it means saying no to some of that stuff so that we can say yes to being a psalm 24 reality people Desiring to be in his plate, in his temple, in his presence. Gazing on him and delighting in his perfections. There's a gap. If you really want God to close the gap in your own life, would you please stand as we pray together? But it, don't stand, he's like, don't, don't do the courtesy stand. New life, you're not known for that, and I'm not really expecting it, but there's some guests. In case guests are thinking this is a courtesy stand, don't do a courtesy stand. It's like, if, I, if you're saying, I want, I want to close the gap, God, I want the work of your spirit to close the gap, and I want my life and every, to, to match what I'm reading as this outpouring of the spirit that on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, if that's what you're saying, close in saying, God, I'm giving you permission to do whatever you need to do, close the gap so that my life becomes the fullness of this reality. So that our family becomes the fullness of this reality. And God, if you want to bring tears Either tears of repentance or tears of an immersion in your love, I'm open to those things as well. Let's pray together. Just begin to speak out your own prayer to God and say, God, close the gap. Close the gap between what I've read in the scriptures and what I'm living. Close the gap, Lord. 
stirred up Holy Spirit within us. Come and help us to pray. Come and help us even to cry out for you to do this, Lord. There's this enormous gap between the kind of life that we see was the fruit of the outpouring of the Spirit on those days. God, we thank you. We cry out. Some of you are not even sure you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, first of all, it begins with surrendering to Jesus. It begins to so speak that out. Say, Jesus, today I surrender to you. Jesus, I repent of my sins and I turn to you. And I'll be baptized in your name as soon as I'm able to be. I turn to you, Jesus, and I ask you for forgiveness of my sins. And I ask you to give me the gift of the Holy Spirit that would seal me and mark me as one who belongs to you and that I live in obedience to you all the days of my life. If you're not ever sure you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but you, you know that you've, give, you've already done the repentance thing and the believing, but you, you've been marked and sealed. I want to say, the Scriptures declare you've been marked and sealed, but you say... I want more, Lord. I want more. Would you begin to speak speak that out? Just speak it out to God. Say, God, I want more. God, I am not happy. I am not satisfied with, with how I relate to you. There's this gap and I'm wanting more and I'm asking for more. And just begin to pray, continue. Help us worship teams. We just begin to sing and we cry out. We say, Lord, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, you are worthy. You alone are worthy. And we come and we stand before you. We're in great need of you, God. We're in great need of you as a people. For we have we know we've not yet become all that you have want us to be to display your goodness and your character to the people around about us and the way that we live. Parents, begin to pray for your children if you're not already praying for them. doesn't matter what age they are, pray for your children. Pray for an increase of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Pray if they've not come to that place of repentance for sin and putting their faith in Jesus. Pray that they'll come to that place, that they'll turn from their sins, put their faith and their trust in Jesus, be baptized in his name and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And God, make us a people ready. Make us a people ready for your coming in the fullness of that. But God, make us a people ready to receive because I think about the, this, this event that we've read this morning was so disruptive. It disrupted all sorts of things. And I think of all of the logistics, God, of... of of forming people into your image. And so no wonder they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching about you, Jesus. And I think about what that would mean as we, we would even see a move of your spirit in Fremantle Christian College amongst all of the students. Where they're gripped by this reality they're crying out what must I do what must I do Lord we need to be a people ready ready with an answer ready to tell them what to do ready to teach them the scriptures so God this thing that we keep praying for Father we keep praying for a harvest in in this region Lord make us a people able to receive a harvest
to, have, to make room in our lives for the curious and motivated ones who want to learn more about Jesus. They're already amongst us. You said that. You said there's a whiteness. There's a, there are fields. There's ripe for harvest. There are men and women in this region we know, Lord, who just need to be invited in. So God, break our agreement with silence and let us be ones who are inviting people to study the words of Jesus. To learn from Jesus. God, what would it mean if you added even a hundred people to us? We couldn't cope with 3,000, God. But your church in the region could cope with 3,000. But Lord, if you added to us even a hundred people, help us to be ready to be ones who can point them to you and teach them your ways and how to live. So God, this morning, this is my prayer. Close the gap, Lord. Close the gap by your grace. Close the gap so that we can be a people you dwell amongst in an increasing measure, Lord. Father, I'm asking that you would, would, I know you will, God, but what I'm specifically saying, Lord, we've got these sweet 16 sign-up sheets. What would it mean to have every slot filled more and more? Prayer room open for more hours because there's the numbers, Lord. People coming in and out of your presence. God, awaken us, I pray. Stir us, I pray. In ways we've not been stirred before. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Increase. Increase in us individually. Increase in us corporately. Together. Make us a people worthy of your name. Jesus, you are the worthy one but make us a people worthy of bearing your name. Every family, every household represented, worthy of your name.